We read God's Word in John 12, reading verses 12 through 33. John 12, verses 12 through 33. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. People, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. We read the word of God this far. We turn also for our instruction to Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Which is the first petition? Hallowed be thy name. That is, grant us first rightly to know thee, and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also, that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, 
that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. There are times, beloved, in the life of the child of God when his soul or her soul is troubled. It might be a moment of personal calamity. It might be a moment of a family crisis. It might be a moment of a medical crisis. It might be a matter of a trouble in the church or in society. The soul of the believer is troubled. His faith sorely assaulted and he wonders what to do next. Throw up your hands, give up, or pray. And what would you pray? Well, our Lord sets the example because He came to a moment in His life when His soul also was troubled. He made that clear. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified But that glorification, that exaltation of the Son of Man would come in the way of His dying, the death of the cross. So, on the one hand, the hour has come that the Son of Man be glorified, but now is my soul troubled. So did He understand what He must do, the weight of the wrath of God that would be poured out upon Him. So did His soul, that is, His human nature, understand that he had to do what no man, mere man, could do. Bear the agonies of hell and bear the wrath of God in full so that by that his church would be saved. But he cries out and he utters a prayer. And then the prayer that he prayed and the prayer that you and I would pray is not just the prayer, Father, I'm finished. Father, let there be another way. He did pray that, to be clear, in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? But if it be thy will, but he prayed this prayer, Father, glorify thy name. A petition with which the whole Lord's Prayer begins. And as we'll see today, that means it is our fundamental need. And a prayer, therefore, that you and I may pray in any circumstance of life, at any moment of life, praying it because above all else we seek our Father and His glory. We're taught by Christ today in the school of prayer to pray that our Father's name be hallowed. And to that I call your attention, praying that our Father's name be hallowed. Let's notice first the petition's meaning, second the petitioner's earnestness, and thirdly, the petitioned one's answer. There are three things I want to drive home as regards the meaning of the prayer, and admittedly, the third of them is going to be the longest. We're going to look at the petition as our Lord taught us to pray it and understand exactly what he's having us do. In the first place, of course, the prayer regards the name of God. Hallowed be thy name. And we've come to see, especially when examining the third commandment, that the name of God is a broad term. It refers really to the revelation of God or to any way, any means by which he makes known his presence and his glory. 
That means that his name is made known in the scriptures, although that isn't, first of all, the primary emphasis of this prayer. It's embedded, it's implied, as I come to read the scriptures, may I hallow the name of Jehovah God. But the catechism gets the point very well when it draws attention right away to the works of Jehovah. All his works. Now you can't stop numbering the works of Jehovah. They are many. Because Jehovah is a living God. He's an active God. And from what you and I would say from morning to night, he's busy. But he's also busy, of course, from night to morning. A God who never sleeps a God who never ceases working, a God who's always gathering, defending, and preserving his church, who always in his providence is governing the whole world, directing the course of all of history in your life, in my life, and when we contemplate all these works of God, we understand that in them he's making himself known. The works of God are his name. And therefore, the catechism is right to draw attention to all thy works in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. The point of the catechism isn't that there are some works in which these are not so clearly displayed, and we don't have those works in mind now. The point of the catechism is that when the child of God is looking to his God, and to all that is God is doing, the child of God with, with eyes of faith says, oh yes, I see it. This is why his works are the name or the revelation of God, because they make known his attributes, the kind of God he is. They make him known to be a God who can do anything he wants. You can't make snow come down from heaven. They make him known to be the kind of God who governs and directs all things wisely. I can't govern the affairs of this world and history as wisely as God can with a view to bringing his people to heaven and the wicked to hell. In all his works, his virtues, his attributes are displayed. So that, first of all, the name of God is his revelation in all his works. Related, then, is that Jesus Christ is the name or the revelation of God. Jesus Christ understood that. He understood that he was God come in the flesh. And when he says that the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, and then later prays, Father, glorify thy name. He doesn't have two different ideas in mind. On the one hand, I'm going to be glorified, and on the other hand, glorify thy name. But he means in and what the Son of Man is about to do, May Jehovah's name be glorified because Jesus is the name and the revelation of God. And so even his death, that which he was about to do, was going to magnify his power and his justice. And he draws attention to that in verse 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And it was also going to manifest his love, his grace, and his righteousness so he says, and if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Everything which makes God known is his name. That's the first part of the meaning 
of this petition. Now, there are two implications. The first I alluded to already, this is a broad prayer. You can pray in any circumstance of life. But in the second place, in this prayer, we aren't telling God how to hallow his name. We aren't coming to him with advice, suggestions. God, it would be good if you do this now. God, maybe that's a bad thing to do. We aren't saying to God, be sure not to send a tornado. Be sure that my house doesn't burn down. We're not saying, God, be sure that no personal calamity comes upon me. We are saying instead, when these things happen, or trials come in any form, hallowed be thy name. For Jehovah spoke in a tornado or a fire or a car accident. And he said, Behold, I am God. Second part of the meaning has to do that word hallowed. We pray for the hallowing of his name. To hallow is to make holy. Now this is a word that we often use to refer to the grace of sanctification. God sanctifying us. I am not holy by nature. You are not holy. And part of the saving work of God in Jesus Christ is that of taking a sinner, defiled, corrupt, and hallowing us so that more and more we are devoted to God and more and more we seek Him with our whole being. However, right here, that's not the primary meaning. It's true that in hallowing or sanctifying us, God's name is hallowed, but here the meaning is even broader. It's referring to God's name. We're not saying to God, your name isn't very holy right now. Do everything you can to make it more holy. Instead, we come before a God and we're saying, thy name is holy. For thou art holy. Do you remember what it is to be holy? To be holy is to be separated from all that's mundane, normal, and to be devoted to a very special cause. To be holy, as far as a sinner goes, is to be separated from all that's corrupt and sinful and to be devoted to the praise and the glory of the one only true God. Now Jehovah is devoted to his glory. He is holy and his name is holy. Therefore, what we're praying here is especially that in his revelation, in his making known of himself as holy, the whole world may acknowledge it. Hallowed be thy name, means may all men and all women everywhere acknowledge thy glory. You can't pray this prayer then without an understanding that there is but one only true God, and that's Jehovah, whom we were taught to call our Father. You can't pray this prayer without saying, it isn't Allah's name that we're hallowing. It isn't just the God of the Jews' name that we're hallowing. It isn't the patron saint of my birthday that we're hallowing. It is the name 
of the one and only true God. May that name be hallowed. And when Jesus prays, Father, glorify thy name. He's really expressing the same idea. In what thou art about to do, may thy holiness and all thy attributes shine forth. That second, as regards the meaning. And then third, we're not praying this as an uninterested, casual expression. Well, God, I spoke to you for a while. Now I'm going to leave and I'm going to go about all the things I have to do. Hope all goes well with you. Hallowed be thy name. But instead, we are asking that the name of God be hallowed in us, in our thoughts, in our words, in our speech. This is the emphasis of the prayer, and that's why it's the third part of the meaning, but I have a few more things to say about it than I did the other two parts. Let's bring forth, first of all, evidence that the whole point of hallowed be thy name is not just God be sure that thou dost glorify it somehow, but is a prayer that I and you in our words, thoughts, and speech hallow the name of God in all things. First of all, the prayer is passive. Hallowed be thy name. It begs the question, who's to be the subject of this hallowing? And although God always hallows his name, I only come to him with a prayer on my lips because I need a grace. And that secondly is how it's evident that the name is to be hallowed by us. We come with a petition. And the catechism expands on that. Grant us. Give us. Give us freely and graciously what we don't have in ourselves as to the power. Give us freely and graciously what we don't have a right to in and of ourselves. Give us the power to glorify thy name. And then also, thirdly, as evidence that this is the intent of the prayer, Jesus prayed, glorify thy name. And he meant by that, as he went to the cross and laid down his life, in and through his actions, his speech, his words, his thoughts, may the Lord's name be glorified. That brings me more fully then to the Heidelberg Catechism's explanation, because the explanation of, the, of, this, of this petition is totally beside the point. If the purpose of the prayer is not that I have grace to hallow the name of God. But because that is the point, the catechism drives home different aspects that the petition might take as you and I expand on it in our lives. Grant us first, rightly, to know thee. The knowledge of God is your greatest need and mine. On the one hand, implied in this is that we be growing in that knowledge. There is no such thing as a stagnant Christian, as a Christian who's grown enough 
as a Christian, you and I are either growing more or we are regressing. We are getting stronger or we are getting weaker. So grant us first rightly to know thee implies that we will turn to the word of God in our own private lives. We will use the means of grace. We will do all that which God has given us to do and use the means available to us. And as we go out into creation, and as we speak of how the world began, and as we speak of how the world continues, we desire grace to glorify the name of God. Implied then is that all wrong doctrines be doctrines that we would reject as we get to know God more and more. And the Catechism underscores that, that we need to reject wrong doctrines. Grant us first rightly to know thee. It's not enough to say I know some things about Jehovah. It's not enough when it comes to doctrinal matters to say, well, you, have, you think what you think, I think what I think. It's really no big deal. It is a matter, ultimately, of rightly knowing God. Now, as I make that point, I'm not trying to give any fodder amongst us for despising or looking down on those who don't have the doctrinal knowledge we do or understand the doctrinal convictions we've come to understand. This prayer is not, first of all, about others. It's, first of all, about my heart and your heart grant me rightly to know thee. There is, in the passage we read, an illustration of the point. For if there's any doctrine that's being set forth in the passage we read, it's the doctrine of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The necessity of that atoning work and the benefits and the effects of that atoning work, and the scope of that atoning work isn't the point of the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm only illustrating. I could look at the passage and drive home all those points. Now listen to just this one explanation. If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Grant us first rightly to know thee. Grant us to understand, Heavenly Father, that when Jesus Christ said all men, he did that in the context of Philip coming to him saying, there are Greeks who want to see you. And Jesus is saying, when I'm dead and when I rise again, I will draw to me. Not each and every man head for head, that wasn't his point, but both Jews and Gentiles. The second place the Catechism goes on to say, and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works, etc. I've referred already to the works in which the, the attributes of God are displayed. But now the question is this, as you pray this prayer, do you and do I rise up from our prayer stance and say, no, this is how I'm going to hear the news today. Whatever news I hear, whatever source I hear it from, this is the perspective in which I'm going to view it. There's a war in Ukraine. You might say, no big deal, that's a long ways away, but hallowed be thy name. There's some other national calamity, you might say, but it's off in Washington, D.C., and I'm in Michigan, but hallowed be thy name. 
whatever news it is that I hear. And then, of course, the troubles, the trials, the things that happen in my life. They aren't all troubles and trials. Sometimes they're good things. We're taught to be thankful in prosperity. And then also we're praying, hallowed be thy name. It is the calling of fathers and mothers to teach our children that the prayer, hallowed be thy name, finds its answer in part in the way we speak of what God does in time and in history. And should we look at what God does in time and history and murmur and complain about it, or accuse God of being bad, then we have not hallowed the name of God as we prayed for grace to do. And then in the third place, the Catechism says, and further also that we may so order and direct our whole lives, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. So when I pray this prayer, bear in mind, we often utter the petitions of the Lord's Prayer almost without thinking, almost rote. But when we pray this petition, we rise from the prayer stance saying, I'm going to watch what I say. I'm going to watch what I do. The unbeliever is observing me. I would bring glory to my Father's name in how I speak. And therefore, Jesus, going to the cross, said, Father, glorify thy name. May I be even there devoted to thy honor and thy glory. This is the petition's meaning. Part of the instruction that our Lord gives us as he teaches us to pray is that it takes a certain heart, a certain kind of soul to pray. And I want to drive that home in the second point, the petitioner's earnestness. It isn't any words so much of the Lord's Prayer, no. It isn't any words in the Heidelberg Catechism. It's what lies underneath them. It's, it's the proper way in which to bring them and the answer is that I come to God with this prayer in my soul with earnestness. And there's four reasons. Four reasons for that earnestness. I'm not just going to rattle off these words now. The first reason is how great my need is. Grant us first rightly to know thee, etc. Why do I need that? Why do I as a member of a Reformed church need that? One who's been sent to a Christian school. One who's been taught Sunday school and been taught in catechism. Do I not know all that there is to know about Jehovah? Oh, I might know a lot in my head, but how is it in my heart? I need this grace. I need this grace because society around me, in which I live, Society affects me. Society around me blasphemes the name of God. When all goes well, it curses him as if it doesn't need him. And society and mankind can exist apart from him. And then when it goes, all goes bad, it curses him 
Suddenly there is a God. You notice that. The atheist who denies there's a God hears of some bad event and he uses the name of God. It comes out of his mouth. Suddenly there is a God. And it's one he can rail on. And that's my nature too. Job, when hearing of all the calamities that came upon him, said, the Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was grace. That was not Job's nature. Job's nature, your nature, my nature, his wife expressed when she said, curse God and die. That's our nature. So, we need this grace. And our understanding of our need is going to make us earnest in beseeching God for it. But that begs a question. Why then did Jesus have to pray this prayer? We can't say that was his nature. He was perfect. He was a son of God. The answer to that question is several fold. In the first place, in his human nature, he still recognized that he needed the strength to do what God would have him do. That's first. That as he went to the cross, if the Father were not glorified, or if he would go to the cross not seeking the hallowing of the Father's name, then it would be all in vain. It could be. In fact, this is what Satan tried to get Jesus to do in his three great temptations. It could be that Jesus still go to the cross. And at the end of it say, look what I did. Hallowed be my name. But Jesus understands that in his human nature he's come to do the will of the Father. He's a servant of the Father and he desires grace to serve the Father perfectly even in this hour. And so even Jesus needed to pray the prayer. And there's one more reason. He prayed as your and my covenant head and mediator. He prayed as one representing us. He prayed as one who bore the burden of our sin and guilt. And for that reason too, he needed to pray that the Father's name be glorified. So that was first. The first of four reasons for the earnestness of our prayer is our great need. In the second place, this need is daily and it's repeated. It's every split second really. Hallowed be thy name. You pray that prayer and then you understand, and I understand for myself, how poorly we end up doing it. I start singing the first stanza of a Psalter number and my heart is in it. And I'm praising the name of God and by the second stanza I'm thinking of what I have to do later today. And the same can be said of reading the Word of God 
and of listening to the Word of God explained or expounded. And that's each one of us. The need is constant. I'd better come to God earnestly. I'm not going to be praying this prayer every split second of my life. But when I pray it, I'd better express an understanding of what I need. In the third place, the petitioner is earnest because this is our fundamental need. Why did Jesus start here? Why didn't Jesus start with forgive us our sins? Why didn't he start with deliver us from evil? Why didn't he start with give us this day our daily bread? If you were to list in order the things you were going to pray for, and not only just in what order the prayer would come out, but what you thought your greatest need was, would you say, hallowed be thy name, if I get nothing else today? That's the grace I desire. The Lord is teaching us that that is our fundamental need. It means that our salvation and our spiritual blessedness is tied up, inseparably connected in the hallowing of the name of God. You know why? Because one of the ways in which Jehovah hallows his name above all is that of taking sinners, making them his children, and saying, one day you're coming to heaven. And I'm going to, when you come to heaven, make it so that you cannot but hallow my name in everything you think and say and do. The first three reasons for the earnestness of the petitioner the fact that our heart is in this, all related to our need, a great need, an ongoing need, a fundamental need. The fourth reason takes a little different tack. It is our love for God that makes this petition so earnest. There's one word in the petition itself that I haven't done much with yet, and it's the word thy, hallowed be thy. Nay, not mine, and not anyone else's. A common mistake that humans make, and it's been made often throughout history, is to assume that my cause is God's cause. Because I am a Christian, whatever cause I have is His. And we have the order wrong. Rather than saying, I first of all seek God's cause, and whatever cause is his, I will by his grace make mine. That would be to have the order right. Now when we have this wrong perspective, as we so often do, then hallowed be thy name becomes a means whereby men and women say, thinking they are very religious, very devout, very God-serving, Whatever my cause is today, God bless it. I'm out to build up my kingdom. Help me. I'm out to do my will. Be on my side. And in that way, thou art hallowing thy name. You and I can think that way too. 
God, what I really want today is that my life just be happy and everything go the way I want it. That's not love for God. That's love for self. But when Jesus says, hallowed be thy name, and teaches us to pray from the heart, he means to say, love God above all. And if today you suffer, hallow the name of God in your suffering. That leads to earnestness. When I love myself, I might pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, but they're all self-centered and self-seeking. I'm even going to come to God with something of a demand on my lips. You owed it to me. I'm going to decide if I love myself, and having prayed to God doesn't work, that is, I don't get what I think I should get, I'm going to decide that prayer is futile. I'm going to stop praying altogether. I therefore am going to stop confessing out loud that God is my Father for Jesus' sake. And I'm going to say, I guess I'm in it for myself. It's up to me to do it. If I love myself, it's going to go in that direction. But when I love God, then I'll come back to him again and again. I might get beat down but I'll come back to him again and again. He might tell me, son, daughter, your perspective is entirely wrong. You need to do a 180 in your mind, in your attitude, and I'll come back to him again and again, and I will say, hallowed be thy name with earnestness. This means more to me than anything Else, Don't you think our Lord had that earnestness in his heart? Father, glorify thy name. He was about to go to the death of the cross and show himself to be the Savior of the world, the faithful servant who will renounce himself and die for his people. And when the Lord said that, there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And that is the petitioned one's answer. God will hear and answer this prayer that his children pray. There are three evidences of that. The first I just noticed in the incident recorded in John 12, the Lord gave that as his answer to Jesus. The second assurance to you and to me that the Lord will hear and answer is that our Lord would never have taught us to pray this petition if he thought God would not hear and answer. The very purpose of his teaching us to pray is to draw us into fellowship with God. And in the third place, all who come to the Father, to the Father, knowing that he is my Father for Christ's sake, and all who come in the name of Jesus, on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, will find that which they seek. It's certain that God will hear and answer, and the certainty is based on the death of Christ itself and what he did. When you think, and I think, that I deserved hell, 
forever. For the smallest, fragmentary, and momentary thought that God is not good to me, I deserve hell forever. And that he sent his son into my flesh, who willingly went to the tree of the cross and bore the shame that's due to sinners alone, the wrath of God, and did it in full, and earned my righteousness, and earned a place in the body of Christ for me, and earned a place in heaven for me. When you think of that, you will go to your Father on the basis of the shed blood of Christ and say, I know that he will hear and answer my prayer. And the proof is, of course, in all of New Testament history, which is again to say in all the works of God that he's done in Jesus Christ, exalted at his right hand. For that word, that predictive word, that promise of Jesus Christ, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me, is being fulfilled. And it's the reason you and I are here today. We've been drawn unto into fellowship with Jesus Christ himself. The form the answer takes then is not necessarily that our life becomes any easier, but that we're given grace to endure and to bear. The form it takes is that we're less ready to lie, to blaspheme, to curse, to speak evil of our God, and we're even more ready if it's at high school and we're an 11th or 12th grader if it's in the workplace and we're the only Christian, we're more ready when we hear somebody else speak evil of our God to speak up and to say, no, no. Hallowed be his name. He is hallowing his name. And the answer is that we do come to know him more and more rightly. Now, in his own way, he's given you that answer time and time again in your life. Does it not comfort you on the one hand? Does it not reassure you that then indeed you are his child for the reason a man gives a person that which the person seeks is because he loves that person. That person is his own flesh and blood, his own son or daughter. And therefore, when you and I receive these gifts from God, we say, then I really am his child. Not how well my wife life goes on earth in an outward way, but that I'm getting the grace that could come only from God in Christ. So I'm comforted. And in the second place, I see God give me this answer. I'm encouraged to come five minutes from now with the very same question, a prayer on my lips, and tomorrow again, and make my whole life one sincere petition. Whatever else thou dost give me, Lord, whatever it is that I'm called to do in this life or find myself doing throughout the day, may this grace above all, be given me, not unto me, O Lord, not unto me, but unto thy name give glory 
for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Heavenly Father, we come to thee with this prayer on our lips, which is the most important need we have. That in all thy works that we behold, we might glorify thy name, thus manifesting the great work of salvation in us and being a testimony and a witness to others that not only dost thou exist, but thou art our Father, God of the covenant, who delights in fellowship with us, thy people. And now our petition is, Hello, that name. And therefore, to that end, sanctify us more and more. For Christ's sake, amen.